Well, a couple of weeks back now, Beth and I had some visitors at our house. Uh, some friends, they came for dinner, a married couple, and they had a couple of kids. One of the kids aged three and the other was about 18 months. Uh, they're dear friends and we love them heaps, but I've got to tell you, Beth and I are still trying to recover from this experience. It was getting a little bit late in the evening when our friends came over, so the kids were, they were getting a little bit ratty. Okay, Now, it wasn't the kids' fault, it was getting late. They did really well under the circumstances, but my goodness, were they ratty. Throughout the evening, okay, every fridge magnet on the fridge was pulled off the fridge and thrown across the floor. Lamps, lamps in the lounge room, new lamps, overturned. Children's blocks, everywhere. Cushions, cushions on the lounges, nice and neat, everywhere. In the end, this is true, in the end, there wasn't an inch of our dining room floor that did not have chocolate cake smeared all over it. And then, and then there was the noise. Oh my goodness, the noise, I've never heard anything like it. At one point in the evening, I looked around me and, and I felt that this scene was what the prophet Daniel envisaged when he spoke of the abomination that causes desolation. <laughs> but that's what kids can be like, isn't it? When they, get, when they go over somebody else's place, especially when it's late and it's ratty. And that's okay. It's one thing for kids to be like that. But it's another thing for us adults to go over somebody else's place and start behaving like that. Imagine going over to one of your friend's places, walking up, getting up on their lounge and jumping up and down and tossing their cushions up in the air. Imagine going and pulling all of the fridge magnets off their fridge, overturning their lamps. You just don't do it, do you? There is something a little bit inappropriate about getting your dessert and smearing it all over their dining room floor. There's a certain respect that you need to show when you go over someone else's place as adults, isn't there? Well, today's passage from Ecclesiastes, uh, it shows that for God's people there in the Old Testament, there was a right and a wrong way for them to behave when they went to God's house, the temple. Remember, the, the temple there in Jerusalem was the place of religious worship for people in the Old Testament. It was the place where God dwelt with his people. So the temple was known as the house of God. And so behaving appropriately in God's house was very, very important. I'm sure you'll remember that in this book of Ecclesiastes, so far, we have seen God described as our creator, the one who has created us. We've seen him described as our disposer, the one who chooses when we will leave this earth. And we've seen him described as our judge, the one who will judge us. So it shouldn't surprise us that in today's passage, the teacher tells his readers to take great care when they go to the house of God. They're to guard their steps when they go to the temple to worship. Read with me the first half of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. You can find that on page 474 of the small print Bibles, 1039 of the large print Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the first half of verse 1, where the teacher says, Guard your steps 
when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps. Be careful how you behave when you go to the temple to worship. Behave appropriately. And what does that mean? What does it mean to behave appropriately? Well, the teacher goes on to then outline three ways that people are to guard their steps in the temple. Three ways they are to behave appropriately in God's house. The first involves listening to God, listening to God. It seems that some people, they go into the temple, but they're not, they're not going interested to listen to God. Remember, it was in the temple that God's law would have been taught. In the temple, people could go there, they could learn how God wanted them to live their lives, the things that he wanted them to do, the things that he didn't want them to do. But some people who went to the temple, they're not interested in listening to God. They just went, they, they offered their sacrifices, not even knowing or not even caring if the way that they were living was pleasing to God. Read with me the second half of verse 1, where we read, Go near, that is, go near, the, go near to the temple, go near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. If you've ever been in a conversation with someone and uh, they won't let you get an, a word in edgewise, if you've been in that situation, you know, every time you go to start a sentence, they come in over the top of you uh, to give you their opinion. You know, at the end of a conversation like that, you kind of get the feeling that this person's just not interested in your opinion, don't you? You, you get the feeling that this person just, well, doesn't really respect you all that much. Well, when it happens to us, it's just plain rude. But when people fail to listen to God, their creator, their, their disposer, their judge, well, it's just plain foolish. Temple sacrifices, you see, they're meant to demonstrate a contrite heart. They're meant to demonstrate honour and respect towards God. But offering a sacrifice at the temple without any regard to what God has to say well, it shows that that sacrifice, it's nothing more than an, than an empty religious ritual. Meaningless worship. It is the sacrifice of a fool. People who do this, they need to guard their steps. They need to watch their behaviour. They need to listen to God, treating him with the reverence and the respect that is due. In God's house, people need to listen to God. Secondly, next, the teacher turns his attention to another way that people are to guard their steps when they go to the house of God, and it involves praying to God. It seems that when some people go to the temple to pray, uh, they're doing it inappropriately. They're quick with their mouths, pray the first thing that comes to their minds without any consideration of who it is that stands at the other end of their prayers. They forget that they're speaking to to God, God who is in heaven. They're treating him like some old chum. They're hasty in their hearts. You know, if they stopped and they really thought about who it is that they're speaking to, then chances are their words would be few and well chosen. Then the teacher, he draws a comparison. A comparison between the speech or, or the prayer of a fool and a dream. He says, 
You know how when you've got lots of worries on your mind that you can be really quite sure that you'll end up dreaming? Well, in the same way, when you hear lots of words just being strung together, you can be pretty sure that what you're hearing is the prayer or the speech of a fool. Read with me from verse 2. Verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. In my uh, school scripture class, uh, there's an appropriate way for my students to, to speak to me. Uh, they know that they're not allowed to call me Warren and they're not allowed to call me Wazza. They've got to call me Mr. Esdale. They know that and they know that there are certain words that they must use when they're talking to me. Words like please and thank you. They know that there's certain words that they mustn't use when they're speaking to me. They know that there's times when they are to speak and they know that there are times when they're to shut up and listen. And ultimately, what it's all about is these students offering me the respect that I'm due as their teacher. You know, it comes with the position of being their teacher. Now, if my scripture kids are to respect me with their mouths because I'm their teacher, how much more then those who are standing in the house of God are to respect God with their mouths? How much more are they to respect their, their creator, their disposer, their judge? It's the fool who fails to do this. People need to guard their steps in the house of God. They need to watch their behaviour, be careful with their prayers, showing God the reverence and the respect that is due. Thirdly, next, the teacher tells people to guard their steps when they go to the temple by taking care when they make vows to God. Uh, it seems that in the Old Testament there's numerous ways uh, that people could make vows to God. Numerous examples. Uh, some people made vows of allegiance to God. You know, uh, dear God, I promise that you will always be my God. Vow of allegiance. Some other people made uh, bargaining vows in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, God, if you do this for me, then I promise that I'll do this for you. Bargaining vow. Uh, then there were other people who had um, vows of thanksgiving. Um, for example, you know, dear God, uh, because you've been so kind to me, because you've done such and such for me, I now promise that I'll do such and such for you. See, it's a vow of thanksgiving. But it seems that some people at the time of Ecclesiastes, they, weren't, they were taking their vows really quite lightly. They were making their vows, but then they were taking forever to fulfil their vows. That is, if they ever fulfilled their vows at all. Some of them were trying to get out of it, trying to get out of their vows. Uh, some people made their vows publicly. You know, they're in the temple, you know, no doubt quite impressive to the people who were listening on to the vows that were being made. But then when the temple messenger, or the priest, went to these people and said, um, you know, when are you actually going to make good on this vow that you, you've made? Well, it seems that the people were saying, oh, yes, the vow. Um, well, <laughs> don't worry about the vow. It was actually a mistake. Let's just forget about it. 
But according to the teacher, this is inappropriate behaviour for the house of God. It's to sin with your mouth. And it's foolish in God's eyes, worthy of his judgment. Read with me from verse 4. Verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Six months ago, um, six months ago today, in fact, um, I made certain vows. Um, Vows to take Beth as my wife, uh, to love her, to cherish her, to provide for her for the rest of my life. Would have been a bit... It would have been a bit strange then, wouldn't it, if uh, six months ago I went off on our honeymoon with some other woman. I can imagine uh, Beth coming after me, hunting me down perhaps, uh, coming after me to ask me the question, what on earth are you doing? You know, what, what about the vows that were made? Can you imagine if I turned to Beth and then said, oh yes, the vows, um, <laughs> sorry about that, bit of a boo-boo, I'm afraid, how about we just forget about it? Bit of a mistake. It would be to treat Beth with the utmost contempt, wouldn't it? How much more then for someone to make a vow to God, their creator, their disposer, their judge, to then fail to make good on that vow? You talk about contempt. No wonder it would make God angry enough to destroy the work of such a person. You'd have to be a fool to do it. People need to guard their steps in God's house. Watch their behaviour. Be very careful with the vows that they make to God. Treating him with the reverence and the respect that is due. Well, all right then. Can you see? Can you see that there is a right and a wrong way to behave in the house of God there in the Old Testament? One of the things that I've noticed as I've looked at this passage during the week is that behaving appropriately in the house of God, it actually had less to do with the things that were done and a lot more to do with the attitude of one's heart. See, let me see, let me see if I can explain. Sacrifices, prayers, vows, the things that were done there in the temple, they were actually quite neutral in and of themselves. What we see in this passage is that you can offer a sacrifice to God But unless you respect God enough to actually listen to what he has to say, then yours is the sacrifice of a fool. You can pray to God, but unless your prayers demonstrate your respect for God, your prayer is the speech of a fool. You can make vows to God, but unless you respect God enough to actually make good on your vows, then yours, your vows are the vows of a fool. God takes no pleasure in fools. Can you see how the most important thing there uh, with the things that people were doing in the Old Testament, in the temple, the most important thing was the attitude of one's heart. People needed to remember that God is God and that they are not. People needed to remember that he is in heaven, that they are not. 
People needed to remember that he is the creator, the disposer and the judge and they are not. There needed to be an attitude of reverence and respect as these things were done. That was the appropriate way to behave in the house of God. Externally, all of these things had the appearance of true worship. But unless people guarded their steps as they were done, then they were just, well, they just gave the illusion of true worship. A bit like a dream. They were just words without meaning. The remedy, of course, was to give God the reverence, the respect that he was due, fearing him, standing in awe of him. Please read with me verse 7, verse 7, where we read, Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore stand in awe of God. When people went to the house of God, They needed to guard their steps. They needed to make sure that in everything they did, they stood in awe of God. Of course, it was in 70 AD that the temple, the house of God there in Jerusalem, 70 AD, was the time when the Romans came and destroyed the temple. People were no longer able to gather in God's temple for worship there in Jerusalem. Not that that took God by surprise, no, not at all. Not that it fell outside of his plans, no, not at all. It was well before 70 AD that God had relocated his home, taking up residency in the hearts of his redeemed people, making his home in Christians like like you and me. On your outline, I've included uh, a verse that comes from 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 16, you might want to look at it with me. 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul asks, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? You see, if you are a Christian, then friend, God himself lives in you. If you are a Christian, then God's spirit lives lives in you. You are now God's temple. You are now God's home, in a sense. What does that mean? Well, it means that when you go to work, uh, you stand in the presence of God Almighty. It means when you're in the shower, you stand in the presence of God Almighty. It means that when you come to church, you stand in the presence of God Almighty. You go to bed at night, you stand in the presence of God Almighty. You see, Christian, no matter where you are, what you're doing, you stand in the home of your creator, your disposer, your judge. Do you see how suddenly our whole lives become an act of worship? And that's got to have a significant impact on the way that we think and the way that we behave. You see, Christians, we need to guard our steps in all that we do. No, don't think. Don't think that God demands anything less of us in the New Testament. Don't think, as some people do, that when the New Testament comes, suddenly God turns into some big, cuddly teddy bear. No, he is exactly the same God in the New Testament as the Old Testament. He remains creator, disposer, judge, and he still demands that we stand in awe of him. You'll see on your outline another verse from the New Testament. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Hebrews chapter 12. We read, Worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This side of the coming of Jesus Christ, this side of his death and resurrection, we still need to stand in awe of God. The only difference is that now we constantly stand in God's house. We constantly need to guard our steps. What will that mean for us today? Well, what will it mean for us to constantly guard our steps? Well, it'll mean that in everything we do, we ought to be conscious that we stand in the presence of God Almighty and that everything we do needs to be done giving God reverence and giving him the respect that is due, fearing him in everything, standing in awe of him. Well, okay, then let's choose three specific things that we do in our lives to think how we might stand in awe of God as we do them. Let's think about the same matters that the teacher raises here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Firstly, um, listening to God. Is the way that we listen to God still important today? Well, of course it is. Do we still need to stand in awe of him? Well, of course we do. What will that look like? Well, firstly, I think it'll mean actually doing it, you know, actually listening to God, respecting God enough to actually think that his opinion matters, which will mean opening up our Bibles, reading our Bibles, reading it often, meditating on it, obeying it, knowing that you can, you can be the most religious person in the world, but unless you're actually concerned to listen to what God has to say to you, then yours is an empty, meaningless religion, like a sacrifice of a fool. It'll mean taking opportunities to listen to God's word, being taught here at church. Great to see you this morning. At Bible study during the week, actively listening to what is being taught, not just enduring to speak to somebody at morning tea. It'll mean believing the word of God, listening with a humble, teachable heart, never putting ourselves over and above the word of God, never looking for the loophole, never saying, oh, no, I possibly couldn't, never, could never possibly believe that. No, never sitting in judgment of what God has to say. Rather, it'll mean believing the word of God. If you're the sort of person that goes to Bible study during the week, you'd just simply love to go and play devil's advocate, you know, go and cause a little bit of a stir, then, then watch out. Guard your steps, you're acting like a fool. God delights in people with humble hearts, people who are ready to listen and take on board what he's saying. You know, that's why I love sermons so much. I mean, where else do we, are we forced to, to sit down and shut up and listen to what God has to say to us? I love sermons. Yet, of course, we evangelicals, I think, need to be particularly careful. We evangelicals, we have such a high opinion of the Bible, don't we? Though sometimes I think we can forget why it is that we have such a high opinion of the Bible. Forgetting that when we read the Bible, it is actually God who is speaking to us. Oh, we can spend a lot of time studying the Bible, going to Bible study, sitting, writing notes during sermons, studying it, 
know, we can tick the box and say, oh, there's another book of the Bible done, complete, as though that was the end goal. Rather than having our lives changed as we humbly listen to God and obey him. Here we are, we're halfway through the book of Ecclesiastes. Can, can you think back and think of one way your life has changed through hearing God's word taught to you over the last few weeks? If not, then let the alarm bells sound. You need to guard your steps. You need to stand in awe of God as you listen to him. Secondly, what about praying to God? Is the way that we pray to God still important today? Well, of course it is. Should we still do it while standing in awe of God? Absolutely. What will that mean then? Well, I reckon it'll mean, I reckon it'll mean praying thoughtfully uh, and respectfully, always remembering who it is that stands on the other side of our prayers. It'll mean never demanding from God like a spoilt little brat who, who thinks that he stands at the centre of the universe. It'll mean using our prayers to give God the thanks and the praise that is due. It'll, it'll mean acknowledging that without prayer, we, we're helpless. It'll mean praying for things that actually matter to God, showing that his opinion actually matters to us. You know, perhaps even praying some of the prayers that we find in the Bible. When we pray publicly, it'll mean uh, focusing less on what the people around us think and a little bit more about what God in heaven thinks of our prayers. As we listen to others praying publicly, it'll mean listening carefully, making sure that we don't vague out during their prayers so that at the end we can actually say amen with integrity and not just flippantly. It'll mean changing the way that we we think about set prayers, you know, set prayers like, like the Lord's Prayer. Never praying prayers like the Lord's Prayer, never just reciting them like some magic formula, you know, but praying them, directing each word to God in heaven, the one who hears our heartfelt prayers and uses them. You see, our prayers reveal much about our attitude towards God. It was John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, who wrote, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. I reckon he was spot on. We need to guard our steps. We need to stand in awe of God as we pray to him. Thirdly, finally, what about making vows to God today? Is it still important, the way that we make vows to him today? Well, of course it is. Do we still need to do it standing in awe of him? Absolutely. What will that mean then? Firstly, I reckon it will mean not making rash vows. Not making rash vows. You know, not driving along in your car, you look up in the rear vision mirror, you see the flashing lights, pray, oh dear God, if you, if you get me out of this one, I promise I'll never go over the speed limit again. You sure that's the sort of prayer that you want to make to God Almighty? Teacher said, it's better not to make any vow at all than to make one and not fulfil it. Don't make rash vows. Don't make rash vows. 
Rather, be very careful in considering your vows before you make them. Before Beth and I got married, uh, the pastor who married us, he sat us down, he went through our vows with us. He asked us the question, are you sure this is what you want to promise to God? I tell you, it was quite a sobering experience to be asked that question, forced to think about the consequences that those vows were going to have on our our lives, for the rest of our lives. Vows are to be taken seriously. You can't be rash. You've got to consider vows carefully. There's probably some people here this morning who would love to one day be married. Well, friend, can I say to you, be very careful in your choice of marriage partner. You need to ask yourself, is this really the person that I want to permanently bind myself to with vows before God? God takes our vows seriously. Don't be rash. Consider them very carefully before you make them. We we should not be rash. Also, I reckon... uh, It'll mean remembering our vows. If we've made them, we need to remember them. Remembering our vows. How easy it is to forget the things that we've promised to God. Elders, elders of our church. At one time, you made significant vows to God. Do you remember what they were? God does. And he expects you to keep them. If you can't remember your vows, can I suggest you get a copy of them as soon as possible? I've printed a few off today, so if you want to get one from me later, come see me. It was really interesting for me to go through, look at these vows and think, what was it that I actually vowed when I became an elder? To help Beth and I remember our wedding vows, what we've done is we've printed them off. We've got them hanging above our bed. Sometimes when I'm tired and a little bit cranky, Well, sooner or later I've got to go to bed. (laughs) I walk in there and there they are and I think, oh yeah, that's right. That's what I promised to God. It helps me remember, you see. If you can't remember your wedding vows, maybe you want to go home, get the video out, pop it on and have a look at them, get out the order of service that you had at your wedding, go over your vows. What was it that you promised? We need to remember our vows. And finally, I reckon we need to fulfil our vows, fulfil them. We need to actually make good on them. You know, for those of you who have made promises to God at your your kid's baptism, how are you going in fulfilling those promises? Elders, don't just remember your vows, make good on them. Married people, are you making good on your vows? Maybe you want to go home this morning and ask your spouse that question. Darling, how am I going in fulfilling my vows? I tell you that is a very scary question to ask. I asked Beth that question this week. It is scary. But I think it's part of us taking our vows seriously. Whatever vow it is that you have made, presuming it's godly, don't delay in fulfilling your vow, will you? It's a a sin and it makes God angry. We need to fulfil our vows. Well, there we have it. In the Old Testament, there was an appropriate way for people to behave in the house of God. 
when it came to listening to God, when it came to praying to God, when it had come to making vows to him. They all had to be done while standing in awe of God. This side of Jesus coming, this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, this side of him going, uh, ascending to heaven and pouring out his Holy Spirit into our lives, we know that God has now made his home in us Christians. We know that we are now his holy temple. We know that this means that we need to be guarding our steps 24-7, knowing that we are always standing in the presence of God Almighty. So, friend, in all the things that we do, but especially as we listen to God, as we pray to him, as we make our vows to him, let's give him the reverence and the respect that he's so rightly owed. Let's stand in awe of him, remembering that he alone is our creator and our disposer and our judge. Let's pray to him now and ask him to help us do that. Let's pray. Father God, you are the Lord Almighty. You are the all-powerful, the holy God, the one who is in heaven and who demands that we treat you with the respect that you do. Father, please forgive us those times we fail to treat you as we should. When we think of you as some old chum, or when we fail to think of you at all, Lord, forgive us and change us. Dear God, thanks so much for making your home in us through your Holy Spirit, that we are now always in your presence. Father, help us to, to never forget that you are God and we are not. May that be seen in all aspects of our lives, but especially as we've thought about this morning in our listening to you, in our prayers and in our vows. Father, help us to guard our steps in all these things. Help us to stand in awe of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.